everyone. Thanks for tuning in to episode five of the Behavior Chef podcast. I am very excited about today's guest, a personal fitness hero of mine, and just does a lot of great work with a lot of people. Uh, Mr. Chris Gethin is joining me today. Uh, Check him out on on Facebook and chrisgethin.com. And if you need some good supplements, uh, he is, I believe you're the owner and proprietor of Cage Muscle. Is that right? Yeah, CEO and co-founder of Cage Muscle. CEO, don't, don't forget that. He's the CEO of Caged Muscle. That's such a cool thing to hear you say on my my show. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, man? How did you get started into bodybuilding, and and um, you know, how did you get hooked up with bodybuilding.com, and you know, where are you at now? What are you working on? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I'm from Wales originally. Now I'm residing in the U.S. And uh, I got into weight training initially uh, as a form of rehab um, because I'd raced motocross for about 14, 15 years and I had various injuries and uh, that led down a road of retirement from motocross. And then when I explored rehabbing after I'd gone to many specialists like chiropractors, osteopaths, Etc. to you know try to alleviate myself of the pain it wasn't until i started doing resistance training that i was alleviated from it and then i got hooked in it hooked on feeling good and uh, then i decided to go to college for three years and study international health and sports therapy which then took me around the world various countries living in australia living in india uh, working on cruise liners and then eventually uh, landing up in uh, the u.s And uh, so that's how I kind of got into it. And then I started, even though I was was personal training and transforming clients, I wanted to reach out to more people on a larger level. So I started writing content and submitting it to publications. And then uh, when they started actually being published and reaching out to more people, I wanted to put out my own magazine, you know, that wasn't edited, that wasn't filtered down as such. Uh, so I put out a magazine called Cage Muscle for a couple of years, which then got the attention of uh, the founder of Bodybuilding.com, uh, Ryan DeLuca. So this isn't about in like 2005, 2006. I was doing some part-time freelance work for Bodybuilding.com, and then I became the editor-in-chief of uh, BBCom in 2007, when there was about 30 of us in the office which is uh, quite different several years later when there's like 500 people in the office. So that's how uh, that kind of surfaced and come about. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, um, it's so cool to hear your story. And um, it's just, it's interesting to know the, the connections we can make by just putting ourselves out there. Um, well, yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes you have to put stuff out there without having any return or expecting any return. Like I was definitely not making any money out of the magazine that I was putting out for a couple of years. I was working freelance for several other publications just so I could float that thing. And it was sure. just a passion because you have to sell advertising to make money out of publications. And, you know, I'm not a salesman. I, I, I love content creation. So, you know, that's what I did. I did it from my own experience. I had people that were very close to me in the industry uh, writing for the publication as well that, uh, you know, Dorian Yates, Linda Murray. Yeah. Bill Grant and all these people who contributed, not expecting anything back in return either. So, you know, I, I think you know it, it can pay dividends in the in the future as long as you just follow your passion. I think so too. Uh, that's sort of the genesis for us too. I mean, I know our listeners are well aware of uh, where we've come from, and I 
created the behavior chef last February sitting at my kitchen table. Uh, you know, I, that's great. Yeah, that's it was, awesome. it's, it's such a cool ride so far. Um, uh, and you know, we've got some great things on the, on the docket. We've just submitted a symposium to speak at the largest conference for applied behavior analysis in the world next year. So, uh, fingers crossed we get accepted for that. Yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, you know, I'm sure whatever investment that you put in will come back in one way, shape or form. You know, you just have to be persistent and sometimes do things that you don't want to do and uh, continue knocking at that door until people listen. You know, it's a very competitive uh, platform that we that we are placed upon these yeah. days. So people don't know what is legit, what isn't. There's a lot of conflict in information out there. But with that consistency, you'll get a niche crowd and then it just expands from there. Yeah, I, I like the way you, you put that. That kind of drives a bit of the conversation um, that I wanted to bring up. So on your website, or at least the, the Facebook bio, it's expertly written, by the way, but it it, it discusses um, a lot of facets of the human experience, not just the fitness industry, but, you know, you talk about, um, you talk about the wanting to take care of the heart and mind, specifically the heart being the center muscle of your body. You know, if that's not healthy, nothing else is. But you also talked about your um, diving into the the latest research, um, you know, what's out there in the health and fitness world, because there's there's a ton of, you were basically just tapping on the head with it. There's a bunch of junk that comes out all the time. Uh, I mean, we see it circulated all the time and stop me if, if I'm, you know, ringing the same bell, but you, you hear, uh, you know, um, what was it 20 years ago cottage cheese is a good um it's a good health supplement and then 10 years later cottage cheese is bad for you and red meat's the way to go and then a couple years later red meats causes cancer and you eat you know it's all these things all these studies quote unquote that we we find uh we don't know what to believe or you know what to it, it makes everybody confused is kind of what i'm getting at so you being a an expert in the field and you know you you got to stay up on the latest stuff and we're, we're, we're nerds around here too. We love research. Uh, so, you know, what's, what's some of the good things to look out for if somebody that's listening wants to do some of their own digging and, you know, about the latest diet trends or, you know, not necessarily trends, but, you know, they want to know what a keto diet is, or they want to know how intermittent fasting works, or they want to know this, that, or the other, what are some good signs that they should look for in these articles that are reading to know that they're legit? Well, to begin with, you know, you have to question everything. Absolutely everything. You know, you have to, you know, you have to take a very deep dive, you know, especially with a lot of studies, you have to look to see if they're observational, if they're controlled, if they're double blind, so many different things that you have to look at, so many modalities, especially with now, you know, everybody's binge, binging on Netflix, and they'll see documentaries, such as, uh, you know, um, what's it called, Game Changers that just come out. So everyone's talking about that. Yes. And people will instantly go to a plant-based diet. Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to a plant-based diet, but you should really do your research first before allowing a documentary to sway your decision. So, you know, when I watch that documentary as an example, I'm pausing all the time and doing my research based on the studies that they say. And a lot of them were flawed. Uh, the people that they're interviewing uh, were obviously pro plant-based doctors etc so there wasn't there, there really wasn't um it was a one-sided conversation they didn't have a conversation based on the people that were meat eaters you know in a, in a control group or anything like that um with all diets whether it be keto carnivore paleo whatever it is intermittent fasting um you have to have one thing in common 
and that's eat as hell as as much plant-based food but healthy sourced food as well whether that be humane raised plants uh, um uh humane raised uh grass-fed wild caught organic uh you know try to eat the rainbow on your plate try to eat as many whole food sources maybe from your local farmers market you know not so much preserved meals and deli meats and you know, we, you know you're talking about red meat being cancerous well Yes, let's look at the form of that red meat. Is it a burger, sausage, deli meat? Is it charred meat? Or is it your grass-fed bison? Well, it's probably not the latter. You know, So you just have to do a little bit of logis- logical research to ensure that the one that you're following is going to be right for you. And then when you do apply it, how do you feel on it? You know, I do ask my clients to quantify everything. So I'll ask them to go and have a full blood panel on a regular basis, maybe hair follicle test if they're on a plant-based diet because of the heavy metals that they can uh, consume. And then we have to look at a way of collating that out if they want to stick to a plant-based diet. So there's different things that people should look at uh, before they actually make the decision and then quantify it once they're on that route to ensure that it's it's good for them. A lot, you know, if you're very intuitive to your body, you know what works and what doesn't. So at the moment, I'm following like a cyclical keto approach uh, to diet. Do I look my best on that diet? No, I don't. I don't look my best as a bodybuilder. I'm not, you know, I don't look as full. I don't look as lean. I'm not as strong in the gym. But do I feel my best on it? Yeah, I do. I feel great on a cyclical keto diet. So I stick to that for the most part, unless I need to get ready for a photo shoot or you know a, a video series or something like that. So. You know, you have to find uh, like uh, maybe a seasonal approach to your diet as well, if uh, if that's your route. That's a good point. I um, I like how you uh, you really dove into those different pieces there, and I think that'll be some benefit to somebody listening because I I know personally when I dove into all of this, you know, a couple of years back, I had, well, I got married three years ago, and uh, I I did the happy healthy thing. I, I gained a lot of weight the first year of marriage. Because, you know, you, you get happy, you get healthy or you healthy in the respect of, you know, um, healthy meals as far as like healthy and hearty is what I'm talking about. Not necessarily. Yeah, got it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, we, my wife and I both, you know, we ballooned past anywhere we'd ever been. And I stepped on a scale at 352 pounds. And wow. uh, yeah, I was six. And I was not like I've grown, but I'm six two it was 352 pounds. And I've been a uh, you know, an active sports guy my entire life, but that's still, that's 352 pounds as an active lineman. You know, I, unless I'm playing in the NFL, I have no reason to be that large. Um, so we started doing some behavioral changes and now, uh, save for the holiday, I'm, I'm sitting around 285, uh, at the moment and, and going down and I'm doing it with, uh, you know, it's been two years we're taking weight off and I'm doing it with a, a kind of approach that you're talking about with our podcast, our, what's unique with us, you know, is that behavioral approach. How do people change behavior? How do you change a habit? And more importantly than that, you know, how do you stick to it? Um, you know, the old adage, stick to You know, what what is that? How do we get it? That's, and, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I love, uh, I, I say all that to say, I, I love what you said about um, the seasonal change to your diet. Because one of the things that we're really hammering home or, or uh, our little tagline is where nutrition meets behavior. So we're looking at what we call nutritional behavior. And I love where you talked about the diet isn't, 
it, the, the diet itself, we're trying to change that mindset of a diet is literally all you eat. That's, that's the, the textbook definition of a diet is the things that you consume. And so when it comes to how you apply the diet, the diet doesn't change. It just what you do on it. You know, when you do what, like you're saying, if you're getting ready for a shoot, you're going to, you know, do a different approach than the, the keto. If you're, if your base rate is keto and you're trying to lean out, you're going to do something different in the gym plus in the kitchen. And I, I'm trying to teach people how to learn that aspect of um, there's nothing off limits in your life um, because being yeah. super restrictive is super punitive. And it's yeah, that's right. You know, I have clients of all walks of life and I get them all on completely different diets. Like I said, you know, I've got a, a lot of clients that are, that are in India, for instance, and a lot of them are vegetarian, uh, vegan, have people on a keto approach, intermittent fasting, people getting ready for a bodybuilding show. And you have to apply the program that's going to work for them that allows, it make, allows them to make it a lifestyle choice that they can follow consistently, unless somebody's a bodybuilder and then they have to go kind of seasonal with that. Um, you know, it, it may not be me as a personal trainer. It could be someone else's program that you're going to relate to and you're going to stick to. Just like, you know, talking about NFL before, some coaches um, have uh, you know, members of the team that are very receptive to, pe to, to them yelling at them. But other people from the team would probably need sympathetic words of encouragement. And it's just exactly the same with all of us. We all have different characteristics and personalities, and we need to speak to those people differently, not just you know, in communication, but with the programs that are set up for ourselves in order for us to apply it. So you know, I, there's so many ways of climbing Mount Everest and going the direct route may not be the way for you. You know, you may not be able to diet down in 12 or 4 or you know, 6 weeks or 8 weeks or 8 months if you follow a particular route. You know, you have to go a different way that may take a little bit longer, but it's going to be something that's going to be sustainable for you. And, uh, you know, with instant gratification that we have on Instagram and all these social platforms today, it's very easy for us to get pressured into a program that we see somebody who's got six-pack abs or a girl that has great glutes and we want that right now. So we follow the exact program that that person and that influencer is following. But maybe that, that isn't the right one for us and it's definitely too quick of a transformation not really knowing that these people have been following this sort of lifestyle for many, many years. So it's quite easy to get caught into a trap when someone's selling a program that says, well, you can get in this kind of shape in 12 weeks, knowing that the influencer has actually been following it for 12 years. You bring up an interesting point. Earlier you talked about, um, and I'm using some of our terminology, but you, I mean, it's the same as, as yours. You, were you said question everything earlier when we were talking about doing research. You know, we call that philosophic doubt, um, where you're always questioning every single thing, especially um, what you're talking about now, that influencer lifestyle. We live in a world now that's predominated by, you know, the perfect product, but you you don't see what the, the reality of that perfect product is. So I, I like how you put that. A lot of a lot of issues that people bring to um, bodybuilding or, or personal training, I think is, is what are what I'm really getting to. But if you know you go to a personal trainer, I've heard I have some friends that are in the in the industry and things like that and they're people that have stopped going to see them, I, you know, we talked to them, you know, why did you stop? They're doing good things for you. Well, they, 
they wanted me to do this when I'm only doing that. And so, you know, they prescribed a 12 week boot camp diet when I don't even know how to, you know, make a salad properly at home. So we, I, I liked your approach. And of course I'm over exaggerating to make a point, but it's the same idea that we take in behavior analysis to where we look, uh, we examine our environment of the client that we're working with, regardless if it's our kiddos on the spectrum, or if we're working with people that are trying to get their nutritional behavior under control, we're going to see where they are, not where we want them to be. And we're going to set up that, you know, that whole chain and get them to where we want them to be based on where they are now, not where we think they should be. And I think that yeah. you brought up a great point about that. Uh, how do you, how do you personally weave that into your, um, your sessions? Uh, well, you know, I, a lot of the time I won't even look at someone's nutrition or, tr um, or training program to begin with. I won't make those changes. You know, if they're uh, having problems with uh, discipline or motivation, I just look at their lifestyle. If they're sleeping in in the morning or they hit the snooze button, I actually put a halt to that and maybe get them to wake up an hour earlier uh, to kind of change that, their mindset and their circadian rhythm. You know, if they're always taking things that they want and not doing things that they don't want, meaning that they look at success instead of the sacrifice that's needed in order to witness a success, then I get them used to doing things that they don't want to do. So if it's raining outside, I'll get them to lace up and go out for their walk, go out for their cardio, because they would generally stay in the warm. Or, you know, hot and cold thermogenesis is something that I'm an advocate of. So I'll get them to have cold showers instead of hot showers because that's warm and nurturing. And I want them to face their fears because a lot of the time, the fear that they put inside their mind is a lot harder to, to their perception than what the application is. So, you know, I get a lot of people come around or some friends, I should say, on a Saturday morning and we have a workout in my garage and then we follow it up with an ice bath. Well, a lot of people fear that ice bath. But when they actually get in the ice after the first 30 seconds of hyperventilation, they feel absolutely fine. They're calm. They've overcome this modality, which is their fear. And, you know, I find that with a lot of people. So I try to get them to control the environment that's inside of their head instead of being influenced by the environment inside of their head and by what society imposes upon us. So, you know, a lot of the time I'll work on that for, the, say, the first month when they're, you know, putting their hands out and saying, well, what about my nutrition? What about my training? But I need, you know, that that, that will be useless unless they're absolutely 100% able to apply it. That's a genius approach. That's, you, you're taking care of the root issue first, you know, the other stuff we can add in. Um, yeah, for sure. Because no matter what diet or training protocol that I give them, you know, you know, uh, unless they've got skin in the game, that they're not going to follow through. Right. Um, you you touch on a few things that are very similar to. I don't know if you have you heard of something called acceptance and commitment therapy. No, I haven't. It's the idea um, of psychological flexibility, where you know our thoughts and that you were kind of talking about that mental battlefield. Um, I think you mentioned having skin in the game is kind of the way you uh, you phrased it, and um, instead of pivoting away from those mental environments. I think that, yeah, that's how you said it, the mental environments. Instead of pivoting away from them, we're pivoting into them. Um, we're, we're going through them. You're smashing the barrier, basically. And the acceptance and commitment therapy idea, it's a psychosocial behavioral approach 
that's been systematically replicated and all these great things. You were talking about research. Uh, research has proven that basically it's a way to um, acknowledge the the issues in your mind, but also um, to walk through them and not not make room for them, not pivot around them, but go through them and ultimately gaining control yourself. So um, I would encourage you as a man who studies to, to check out Dr. Stephen Hayes and some of the work he's done with acceptance and commitment therapy. And, you know, that might be a good integration to your, um, your outfit as well. Cause it sounds like it's something yeah. that you're already doing just yeah. yeah. as much armor that I can get for things like that, the better, you know, we can all be for sure. So thank you very much for that suggestion. I'll check it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. No problem. I can, uh, I'll email you some of the resources I've got. We can, you can take Please, a look. That'd be great. Thank Let you. me know what you think. But um, man, we're kind of touching on the main issue that the biggest issue, the reason why my channel exists, the reason why the behavior chef exists um, solely, you were talking about getting to the brass tacks, the heart of it all is that mental game. Um, man, how, you know, how many times have you heard someone start with the, the best of intentions and peter out in a few weeks? You know, it happens what happens every January 1st, <laughs> you know, the, the national uh, resolution day. And you, if you're in the gym at all, anybody listening, you go, you avoid the gym for the first two weeks of January and then everybody's gone, you know, it's, yeah. and so why, why do you think that is? Why do you think, you know, cause people start with the best of intentions to lose weight. We live in a country that has a, the biggest obesity problem. One of the, one of the biggest obesity problems the world has seen. But a lot of these people try to commit to these things and they don't work. You know, can you shine some light to what you think as a professional? Yeah, well, there's obviously a lot of different issues. You know, obviously spending time in various countries, you know, the major problem that we have here in the U.S., number one is portion sizes. Portions, portions here are huge compared to, you know, for instance, Europe. Like when my parents were here or my, you know, my sister was here, and uh, my brother-in-law recently, they would buy a meal and share it because those are the portion sizes that we would get in Europe and overseas. Uh, so portion control is definitely one of those things. And, you know, there's more fast food places in this country than anywhere else in the world. And if you look at TV, there's more commercials on TV than anywhere else on the world, anywhere else in the world. The frequency of those uh, commercials is crazy. And it's constant marketing. You only have to go to Home Depot and at the checkout, you know, at a, you're at a homeware store and you have chocolates, you have anything that can possibly entice you, sodas. And it's the same when you go to Starbucks, for instance, or any other coffee shop. I'm not singling out a single chain here, but pretty much all of them. You know, as you're waiting there to check out, you've got cakes, you've got everything that will influence you. And those cakes are huge as well. And uh, so, you know, we have a, a major problem there for sure. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think it starts off, you know, at, at, at childhood within the schooling system. You know, I, I know that, for instance, you can actually get subsidized at school based on the amount of calories. So you could get subsidized for pizza, but not for salad, for example. So, you know, there's major, major problems in the schooling system. And we're taught how to speak a different language. And we're taught about maths and English and religious, religious education, which is all great. But we're not, we're not taught about the most important thing in our life. And that is the fuel for our bodies and our brains. 
So sometimes I'll do seminars at universities, and a lot of the time I'm talking about the nutrition. If they want to retain the content that they're trying to learn, well, wouldn't it make sense to have an optimized brain that is fueled with the right fats, the right micronutrients, so their body and brains perform so much better? And I think that's where we have the massive disconnect. Yeah, we can all look fit. We can all have the six-pack abs. But if we don't have the engine that will supply us, and you know, like you mentioned before, the most important muscle on our body within our hearts, then our life is going to be cut short. And the time that we have on this earth, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle with obesity, diabetes, you know, type three diabetes, they're calling Alzheimer's now. You know, people that were getting diagnosed with Alzheimer's, we would generally think of people in their 80s or 90s. But now people in their 40s are being diagnosed with it. Has our DNA changed? No. But the society around us has changed majorly. And unfortunately, we're following that trend. And you can see it with the healthcare, you know, the, the problems that we're having at the moment. You know, if you look at the statistics, we have obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, all these types of things is just on a major, major increase. And everything that we put into our mouths every single day, several times a day, um, is going to influence whether we heal our future or harm it. And unfortunately, we're harming it. Yeah, I've actually I've, I've either read that or heard you say that a few times. So that seems to be a, a kind of a, uh, a moniker that you preach, which is a great one. We have to keep repeating ourselves yeah. all the time, all the time. You know, I've noticed that. You know, first of all, I think, well, I don't want to say it again. I've already said that, but I've noticed we have to constantly say it and teach it. Obviously, you know, you, you've got a different platform of listeners, and the more that they can hear that, uh, that the better and share it, hopefully, to influence others. That's the hope. Um, we're hoping to broaden. See, our, our field is kind of unique is we're fairly new. I mean, we're about 50, 60 years old. We haven't been around that long. Um, B.F. Skinner is kind of the guy that started it all for us back in the, the 50s and 60s. But then we got the ball rolling, and now there's a bunch of us. And we're in this little pocket, and we have all this great uh, – in our, in our circles, there's a tagline that goes around and says, ABA can save the world. And the idea is that we every human being deals with behavior. Uh, it's just who we are. It's what we do. We're based on a learning history, what's reinforced us in the past, what's been punishing to us, we avoid. So regardless of what that is, that applies to every single day situations. So we, you know, we want, we preach the same kind of thing, um, you know, over and over again. And we want to, I guess the word would be disseminate. We want to get out there. And so one of the platforms we can do that on, kind of like what you were saying earlier and what we're doing now, I mean, we're talking you're an, you're an expert in the fitness industry and I'm a, I'm not an expert, but I'm a, a member of the um, behavioral industry. And one of the things I want to do is reach outside of that small little pond I'm in and bring awareness through our platforms to other people, you know, to the, the everyday Joe, Hey, there's, there's a method to the madness and you don't have to be stuck in it. Uh, I think you were talking about harm or hurt or uh, heal or harm. I think that's a fantastic alliteration um, because it's, it's easy to remember. And it's something that we, you know, we arbitrarily eat all the time. You're talking about that. We don't learn how to take stock into what we're putting into ourselves. We kind of just grab the nearest thing and go or, you know, the fast foods every 30 feet. Um, heck, even I was in Dublin a few weeks ago and um, they had a Starbucks like every four blocks. Uh, and 
yeah, again, with you not to harp on Starbucks at all, it was just there. So, you know, that, that chain idea is everywhere. But when we ate, I'll, I'll follow up yours, your statement as well. When we ate at traditional, you know, Irish restaurants, the, the portions were much smaller and the, the food was much heartier and, and, and you could taste that it was, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say natural, but you could taste that the, the beef itself was, it, it didn't taste processed and things like that. It tasted home cooked. And so even that, that small change right there is a better benefit nutritionally than eating at a Burger King or a McDonald's or, you know, whatever other fast food joint that you could get to. But I, uh, I really, I really like the stuff that you're saying. Um, you know, the things that we have to really pay attention to it's because we're kind of starting off at least in our country. I mean, you have the, you have the unique viewpoint of being from a different part of the world and then traveling all over the world. I know you have some gyms that are in India and you're talking about some of your uh, clients that are there. Um, you know, what are the portions like there? What's, what's the, like, what's, what's the climate like compared to here? Yeah. Well, the, we're in, in India, uh, you know, the reason why I started a gym franchise over there was because of the problems faced there as well. I, I kind of call these, these gyms academies as well, for you know, teaching the personal trainers to help train the clients, obviously. But when it comes to the nutrition, there was uh, places within India that were part of the blue zones only back in the 1950s and 60s. So the blue zones are where you have populations around the world in various uh, pockets that live a healthy life past 100 years old, you know, and they're in good health. And India had one of these places, but it's no longer the fact because it's now been influenced by the westernized culture, even while I was living there, Starbucks started, for instance, as we're, as we're on that uh, topic. But, you know, they, they were using traditional forms of fat, but now uh, because of that influence of the post-industrialization is that they're using a lot of vegetable oils and they deep fry a lot of foods, uh, unfortunately, a very sauce, a lot of sauces, a lot of ghee, but a lot of these vegetable oils now, which are pro-inflammatory, and uh, they definitely like their breads, they like their carbs, they like their fats uh, combined uh, in both. So there's definitely a health problem there. Major, major overload with uh, diabetes on the increase, unfortunately. So you know, there's some people that I'm uh, in conversation with now because I wear a 24-hour blood glucose monitor about uh, trying to get that out to the masses in India at the moment so they can measure their blood sugar levels because a lot of them are becoming obese and you know we call it diabetes when we have a combination of obesity and diabetics uh, you know uh, uh, come to fruition uh, to really help control that you know because they they are they do call themselves foodies and they are very much influenced by what families create for them. Because if you don't eat what the family has made for you, it can be taken as uh, you know as being rude, so to speak. So I've been rude to many, many families over there in, in India uh, by saying no. You know, you have to look after number one. So unfortunately, uh, there is you know now they have you know one of the sharpest rises of diabetes when only like 50 years 60 years ago you know they they had populations of blue zones which unfortunately it's no more that is unfortunate and it's it's sad to say that it's a part of the we we can identify some of the problem as the westernized culture um 
you know, we're a culture that tries to help so much, but when we standardize things, it seems to hurt as well. Yeah. So that's a, yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, when you've got a lot of these franchises popping up, even though the ones in India are vegetarian, you know, you can't get like a Big Mac, for instance, with meat sure. over there. Um, you know, it, it's definitely, definitely an, an issue. And we see that in other blue zones as well, like in Okinawa, in Sardinia. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's just happening, you know, and uh, it's just an, an unfortunate occurrence. It is. I was interested in, in some of the things that you were saying there. I was kind of hoping you could kind of, show us the insight to the Chris Gethin method to the power of no. Um, you know, that's, I know that's something you, you work on very hard for yourself. Um, how, how important is it to be able to say no? Uh, it's very, very important because we are constantly influenced uh, to fit into the social norms. You know, so if, we, if we're at a social gathering, and it, people are frowning upon that you're you know, getting out your Tupperware container, for instance, while they're eating all the food that's been delivered that isn't necessarily good for them. Well, if you think about it logically, it should be you frowning upon them because you're taking care of your future, which in turn is going to take care of the loved ones around you. You know, if you're a grandparent, of course you want to play with your grandkids, maybe your great grandkids. However, if the decision that you're making right there because other people want you to say yes could be taking that away from you, well, shame on them. Shame on them. And, you know, you have to stick firm no matter how much ridicule that you may come under. Because if you're trying to provide happiness to others, the way that you do it is prioritize yourself as number one first. A lot of people put everyone in front of themselves. And superficially, that's only going to go so far. But, you know, deep down, when you're thinking about your lifeline, your vessel that will carry you to 100 years or more in good health, then you have to say no and prioritize yourself. You know, it's much like if you look at a scenario when we're on a, when you're on a plane, what do they say first? Put the mask on yourself before the baby. And it's the same in life. The same with uh, training, nutrition, exercise and your lifestyle. That brings up, that's a great visualization. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I got on a plane and heard that. I thought, oh, well, that does make sense. I don't know why that comes across as rude. Uh, it shouldn't. It makes complete sense. Uh, a lot of people don't have the power of no. Um, and I, I, I think we live in a culture now that it's, there's almost some sort of like cult-driven pride of being the most worn out and the most overworked and the most pressured, you know, oh man, I worked a 14 hour day and I've got three more in a row. And somehow, so I don't know where we've gotten this, but somehow that's supposed to be impressive. Um, but I am glad to see folks like you and, and other prominent figures speaking up and saying, you know, that's a toxic culture that we're living in because it's, it's killing you. Uh, literally, it's harming your future and not helping it to turn your phrase. You know, it's, you're not taking care of you and you can't take care of others. So that that stint of you working that long, it's going to die out faster than if you were able to take care of yourself. And ultimately you're going to hurt those around you even more because you won't be around to help them. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. You have to prioritize yourself and think of number one, you know, there's a couple of people that I know, uh, one of one client, uh, religious person, beautiful, beautiful lady. 
And she was always putting people, her daughters, her family, before herself. She was a people pleaser. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, she it led to serious obesity. Uh, she'd had cancer several times. Uh, she, wow. she is with us now, thankfully. But this is this can be, not for everybody, but this can be a side effect of trying to give, give, give and not give to yourself. You know, you have to prioritize yourself, as I mentioned, to, to give to others. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, when you said about burning the candle at both ends, you know, I was one of those people. Um, earlier, probably, I say, how long ago? This is probably about nine years, eight, eight years ago. Um, I was one of those people. I'd be working crazy hours, only sleeping several hours, and pat myself on the back that I can work long hours and I can still out-train you and I can still perform. And that just led to depression. It led to stress. It led to a lot of anxiety because I was seriously lacking in sleep. And unfortunately, now today, in the, the scene of entrepreneurs that are popping up absolutely everywhere, it seems to be the norm. And it definitely isn't because that led to, you know, health implications where I ended up uh, going to see Dr. Spinag, a clinic in Oldsmar, Florida, back in 2014 to fix myself from my sleep. And I did find out that I had mold, I was exposed to mold, so I had mold toxicity. But then once I got oh. that fixed, I realized, you know what? I need to be so more present. I need to acknowledge right now. I need to appreciate what I have because no matter what I'm working towards, especially if we're looking at materialistic possession, it can't go with us. And we always seem to be working for something without acknowledging the now because the life that we've been given is to experience, not to chase. So, uh, you know, I, I think meditation can really help slowing things down to be more mindful. When you're eating your food, don't scroll through your phone or read a newspaper or be on your computer. You know, try to slow things down and appreciate what we do have because way too often we get caught up thinking about what we don't have. That's a very eloquent way to put that. That's uh, As you're speaking, I'm just running through my own mind some of the uh, memories I've got of, of recent, you know, and, and one of my favorite things I've learned over the last couple of years of learning how to take control of my nutritional habits is that I, I absolutely love to cook for my wife. Um, and I, I love to find a healthy version of whatever it is. I'll give you a crazy example. Um, she wanted, well, I'll give you two, actually. I'll give you one from her, one from me. She wanted uh, chicken cordon bleu one night. So I found, uh, I found a way to make it uh, a low carb uh, with, uh, with a cauliflower mash as well. Um, I made my own breadcrumbs out of low carb bread and things like that. And, you know, it turned out great. And then one, one morning I woke up and I just got a crazy idea that I wanted to have, um, a traditional ramen meal, but make it low sodium and low carb. And I was able to uh, get it as low as I possibly could because, you know, some of the things in ramen are pretty high in sodium, but we used a shirataki noodle. Uh, instead of a traditional noodle, we used low sodium everything, and I used um, you know powdered peanut butter for part of the the sauce, and it was just it was a crazy combination. It was awesome, a lot of fun, but it turned out to be very very delicious. Um, and we you know save for taking a picture of it because I have to share. You know it's kind of the behavior chef thing, but <laughs> save for that. You know the the phones go away and we get to sit down and talk to each other about the day or whatever it is and just enjoy the meal. 
So that makes it reinforcing in and of itself is to share that time with the people that matter to us. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. You know, we're always in a crazy rush these days. We're always thinking about the next thing. Very few people sit down and have a family dinner these days. And, uh, you know, it's just the fan of the land. So we've got to do whatever we can to biohack our environment to a certain degree to kind of slow things down. Yeah, you're right. Um, I know a minute ago we were talking about, you You mentioned yourself that going at, at that fast-paced lifestyle threw you into some anxiety-driven depression and things like that. And um, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of days ago, there was a post that popped up through your page um, about uh, being blue for the holidays. And uh, I was just wondering if, uh, if you had any tips um, or any thoughts for folks out there listening? Because the holidays, you know, it's a season that can be both illuminating and, and happy, but it can be very uh, traumatic for some. So do you have any uh, any thoughts or, or opinions or what am I looking for here? Yeah. Any tips? There, there's, there's what I'm yeah, looking yeah, for. Any tips on this? So it's funny because I actually have a client who deals with a major depression uh, you know, through the holidays, such as Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. So some of the tips that I I kind of list out is, number one, exercise. You know, if there's no gyms in the vicinity that are open, then you can still exercise at home. You can do some lunges. You can do some squats. You can do some pistol squats, some calf press, you know, sit-ups, push-ups, etc. And get outside and get some sun exposure so you have all frequencies and rays of the sun. You know, you have your, your blue, your red, your yellow, your green. You know, think of the, the rainbow, which are very beneficial for you and make you, you know, can make you feel better. You know, a lot of people deal with, you know, the seasonal uh, di- uh, uh, disorders with, uh, you know, not getting enough sunlight. So get out there, get your vitamin D, go out for a brisk walk, do your cardio outside. Uh, you know, maybe try to get a little bit more sleep over this time if we're lacking in sleep. Sometimes that can affect us. So if it means having a nap after your turkey dinner, which is usually convenient, then do so. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I suggested, if you have the opportunity to to volunteer in your community and you usually spend that time alone, then do so. Tomorrow I will be volunteering at the, uh, the, um, the Veterans Medical Center there. Uh, So that will give me an opportunity to communicate with people provide you know some sort of uh service you know whether whether that be just you know just delivering the foods to them and having communication giving them company so sometimes that can be good to get out of your shell and you know there's a lot of people out there usually much worse off than us and uh the other thing that i say is stay away from social platforms if you are one of those people that constantly compares yourself to other people's lives and the thought of you possibly being alone on this day than seeing other people post with their families is probably not a good idea. So I'd stay away from the socials, even if it means removing the apps for a day or two, then I'd suggest that you do that too. If you cannot get out in the sun, then there's a lot of things that you can do to kind of biohack your environment. If you don't have access to an infrared lamp or UV lamp, for instance, which I do, fortunately, um, you know, try to block as much of the blue light as you possibly can. So switch off your LED lights, you know, your, your computer screen. Maybe, uh, you know, have the, uh, the, the night mode placed on your phone, stuff like that. So you're not having a lot of that artificial light 
that can sedate the release of melatonin, that will help you relax. You know, it, it will constantly keep your cortisol levels jacked otherwise, which you probably wouldn't want on that day. <laughs> yeah, probably not after all the turkey and what we, what we call affectionately around here National Gluttony Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People tend to go over and above. And, you know, if you do, if you do uh, become a little bit gluttonous, I always suggest that you go for a walk immediately after for about 20 minutes. You know, just go outside and go for a walk. That'll help bring your blood sugar levels down uh, that much quicker. That's a good piece of advice, Chris. I appreciate that. No worries. Thank you. I know, I know my listeners will, but I was just thinking about for myself. (laughs) (laughs) We all, we all selfishly do these podcasts for ourselves, really. (laughs) Right. Well, this, I mean, I never thought a a day in in an age people would be listening to my voice, let alone getting to interview really cool folks like yourself. So yeah, there's a definitely a reinforcing value for me as well. And I I get to learn from some, you know, some experts in their fields. You've been doing this, you know, forever. Uh, and you're you're pretty darn good at it, and you've made a name for yourself out of it. So, um, you know, you've like you were talking about earlier, you you've grinded away at the stone and finally found some grit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's stuck. And I've seen, you know, I followed lately. You did that uh, the biohacking uh, boot camp over the weekend a few weeks ago. That looked really awesome. Um, oh, the retreats. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Um, it was like a bodybuilding stroke biohacking retreat where we covered a lot of things like hybrid athleticism, meditation, nutrition, obviously, supplementation, all that sort of stuff. And it was a great experience. It was like a four-day four day retreat up in the beautiful Idaho mountains of Sun Valley. And we had people from mostly from the East Coast and uh, overseas. And it was just a, a phenomenal time with uh, phenomenal people. It was, a, it was a great experience. That sounds great. Um, you know, Chris, we're, we've been pushing on about 50 minutes now. It's kind of close to the mark where, you know, we end up wrapping things up. And before we do, I always give uh, my guests an opportunity to, you know, plug something for them, for their, for the listening audience where they can get a hold of them, um, something to help the uh, tip to help the audience, something like that. So where, uh, you know, what's something that you'd like the, the listeners to know about you or they can contact you or, or anything like that? Sure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Um, so people can find me at uh, Chris, K-R-I-S, Gethin, G-E-T-H-I-N on uh, Instagram. And uh, my personal platform is healthkick.com. Uh, That's H-E-A-L-T-H-K-I-K. Dot com and uh, that's you know where I do offer uh, you know like my some of my books and uh, videos and and uh, live webinars and all that sort of stuff and what I'll actually do if anybody does sign up for twelve months I'll give your listeners a free jewel shaker a t-shirt and wrist wrap so worth about seventy bucks I think all they have to do Fantastic. is just mention your podcast and uh, we'll we'll definitely facilitate that. Awesome. So if you guys hear that, go to the, I'll, I'll drop the links in the description as well, but uh, go to those places, mention the Behavior Chef podcast if you're interested in um, doing some of these types of things. And I, I definitely recommend it, uh, but go, go check that out. And uh, Chris will hook you up. Chris, man, it's been fantastic having you. Um, you know, I hope to have you again sometime just to catch up, but thanks for coming on. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, you're obviously heavily influencing your, your listeners. So I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you. <laughs>